Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 47 of Material Issues. I'm Mark Hirschberger of Pop Detective Records, and joining me as always, my good friend from the West Coast, president of the International Pop Overthrow Festival, David Bash. How are you tonight? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you? I'm fantastic. It was an 80-degree day here in South Jersey. It's absolutely beautiful, so Chess and I... We're out for a lot of walks and uh, a lot of talks with a lot of neighbors and things. It just, uh, spring has really sprung. So that combined with baseball season, um, everything's happening. So yeah, I'm happy. I'm good. How you feeling? All good? I'm feeling, I'm feeling well. And as you mentioned, baseball season, I'm so happy that uh, it finally got underway. Uh, my Yankees are three and two right now, which doesn't seem like much. But that's still a 600 percentage, and it <laughs> works out to about 96 wins at the end of the year. There you if they go. get 96 wins, they'll almost certainly make the playoffs. So, um, so so, so far so good. Yes, yeah, so far so good. I think uh, my I think my Pirates are one in three or one in four right now, so they're they're already tanking. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 frustrating. It's kind of like uh, I've been a Miami Dolphins fan since the early 70s, and they have I, they still have a team, don't they? I know. They haven't been to a Super Bowl since – they haven't won a Super Bowl since 73. That's insane. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, it's uh, – you know, they've had some bad years in there. Uh, and they've had some years where it looks like they're going to be okay, and then – so, whatever. Your video yeah. is back. But, um, hey, real quick, I wanted, I wanted to mention before we uh, get into uh, our special guest tonight, you know, I told you I had this great friend uh, – uh, originally out of Canada, he's uh, uh, an artist. He does a lot of work in in clay caricature sculptures. But he moved to I uh, moved to China to produce these figurines, uh, wonderful stuff. And then his distribution went through uh, Moscow, and obviously with everything going on in the world, that's messed up. But um, he did personally send me a one of his newer uh, creations, and it's Angus Young. Take a look at this. This is his caricature. Oh, AC DC's Angus Young, and he's going to be producing a lot of things like this. But he's going to do the entire band. So he's uh, he's going to he's doing you know the obvious ones: Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Queen, Stones, that kind of stuff. Um, but I just want to give a shout out to Warren, Warren Stratford, a wonderfully talented uh, artist. Uh, and we'll be we'll be talking more about him on material issues here in the future. Yeah. Maybe we should have him as a guest. Yeah, we, we, that'd be that'd be awesome. We could talk all about this kind of thing. I'm sure he'd you love know, it. If he does a blue ash uh, 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 group of dolls, that then um, yeah, I'm a, a doll figures. Then dolls. Um, yeah, no, I didn't play with brother, dolls when I was brother, my my brother's gonna give me crap for calling. Exactly, you're you're already going down right now. He's, for he's, he's, he, collects, he collects figures of all sorts. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, uh, Speaking of figures, we have a prominent figure in the in the world of Major League Baseball uh, coming up as our guest. He uh, he was an outfielder for the Texas Rangers, the New York Yankees, and the Atlanta Braves uh, in the late seventies and early eighties. Then he became an announcer for uh, the Braves and the Seattle Mariners, and also wrote a book about the nineteen eighty five Yankees, which I have to ask him about. I need to buy this book also. Uh, which I will, but I have to ask him about it because the 85 team, of course, had uh, Billy Martin managing them and uh, you know, had Ricky Henderson for their first year. Um, 
Oh, I forgot to take down the, uh, I need to take down this display that I want to show them. So I'll, I'll do that when we, uh, when we get underway here, but yeah, uh, he's a great guy and we're really glad that uh, he, he took the time to join us on material issues. So would you please give a huge baseball welcome to Mr. Billy Sample. <laughs> there he is. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Mark. Good Thank evening, you. Billy. I appreciate that. That's really nice. I can fool some of the people all of the time. <laughs> well, here, here's what happened, Billy. When I when I made the mistake, uh, when I when I when I mentioned that you had announced for the Yankees, I I had conflated the you announcing with the other teams was when you became a Yankee. Somehow in my my senior moment uh, brain, uh, um, and this happening almost 40 years ago now, I, uh, I I got confused. But I do remember when what what it was was I heard I had finally gotten cable and I'd heard you on the on TBS. Oh, TBS. <laughs> yeah. And um, I just remember I didn't know it was you at the time. And I remember saying, "Wow, this guy's a pro." I mean, what a voice. Well, thank you. Jeez. Seriously. And, and, and then I found out that you were a former baseball player. I mean, <laughs> you're I knew who you were, of course, but it's like, wow, this guy's really, this is like the best announcing athlete I've ever heard. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. No, seriously. Where were you, David, when I needed an agent? <laughs> I know, really. Or even as a player. <laughs> Somebody oh. help me. <laughs> oh, I, it was fun. I, in, it was fun good. in Atlanta. Uh, they treated me great. Uh, Pete, uh, Skip, uh, Ernie, Senior. It was it was a fun group to be with, and and when I was paired with Skip, oh my goodness, because Skip is pretty much was pretty much like he uh, he was on camera, off camera, and uh, he could be a little sardonic and a little sarcastic, and it was he was fun to be around. And and almost the opposite of his dad. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you ever get to meet? You got me. Yes, I Harry? did. Yes, I did. I got to meet Harry, and uh, and Harry remembered us meeting before. And I said, "No, I, I don't think we have." And he kind of looked at me like, "Kid, you're losing it." And then after he left, <laughs> I did remember that I had met him previously to the time that we met that time in spring training. Yeah, that's amazing because people, you know, mo most people when they think of Harry, they think of him as this boisterous Cubs announcer that's drinking buds all, and by the seventh inning, he's completely tanked. But they, what they what they don't what a lot of people don't know is like earlier when he was an announcer, especially for the Cardinals, he was as pro as anybody else. Yeah. I and mean, you 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 go on YouTube and you watch some of those '68 World Series games. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean the guy was great. I, you know. I, I can imagine what he and Jimmy Pearsall were like when he was doing the White Sox. Oh, I want well was, Jimmy Pearsall. That's oh my goodness. <laughs> Occasionally, I had to walk in inside the clubhouse maybe after finishing at a bat and and needing to uh, i don't know change uniforms or something and i would hear bits and pieces of those two. Oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> and i was a visiting player <laughs> how much did you, having david did you did you know that uh, billy was the uh, i just read this uh, today the 11,691st player in major league baseball uh, there was an interview you did, Billy, somewhere that you I thought he was 11,695th. So, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. David, don't mix yourself up about that. I was just, I was just <laughs> correcting you just because it was, you put it on uh, on my timeline, and I didn't want people to, to say, hey, wait a minute, I don't recall him with the Yankees as a broadcaster. That's, that's the only reason I 
if I didn't think anybody would say anything, I'd just let it go. I, <laughs> I, I've got bigger, bigger battles to fight. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Billy, you grew up where? Salem, Virginia. Salem, Virginia. All right. Um, athletic family. A uh, bunch of brothers, sisters uh, uh, that that played. Or what got what got you into, you know, playing playing ball early on? Well, I guess everybody played ball and. Mm -hmm. Uh, my dad was a backup shortstop in high school. He said he played behind Johnny Sample, who uh, some of you might remember as a football yeah, player. Uh, I did. The Jets and the Colts in Washington. And uh, he could he would throw the ball occasionally with me in the yard. He was working. He didn't have a lot of time to, uh, to come home. But it was always a treat when he did have the time to throw the ball around. You could see just what a slick fielder he was. Uh, but aside from that, I'm the oldest of four boys. I'm five, six, and seven years older than... Uh, my brothers, two of them, who have passed on since. But um, they played a little bit. But I think I was the one that sort of internalized sports. And I tell people I was a better football player growing up because after uh, 50 years, not many people are around to remember it. So I can get away with that. Um, Joe Pepitone did the same thing. <laughs> there's a, there's a guy. I need to get, we need to get Pepitone on the show. Oh, my goodness. He's what a... Now, now I, I grew up watching in Virginia, and back in those days, you just got the game of the week. And the Yankees were on quite a bit, even when they weren't playing well because of the media market. And so I would see Pepitone and Richardson and Kubak. And to have reached a level, Boyer third, to have reached a level to where I'm interacting with them was really, I thought was really cool. And, and Joe and I had been at some fundraisers, especially in Greenwich, Connecticut, and he'll talk about me like we were teammates. He'll oh, get wow. on me like we were teammates. And I think I was seven years old when he first got to the big leagues. So maybe <laughs> even younger than that. So that's really cool when you can have that kind of association with yeah. people if you watch play oh, yeah. when you're growing up. <laughs> now, Bobby Richardson, he, I, one time I had to speak behind Bobby. And, and many of you know Bobby is this sure. evangelical minister. And he could yeah. talk 50 minutes without a and ah or anything. And I, I told him after that, so the last time that's happening, I'm speaking behind you. No <laughs> fact to follow. For yeah, sure. yeah, that was, that was Just even mentioning Pepitone and Richardson in the same breath. Yeah. You probably can't find two more opposite people. <laughs> uh, Tony Kubek, uh, I remember when, because Tony was a longtime broadcaster, as you know, mm -hmm. and you couldn't beat Tony to the ballpark. I tried. When I was broadcasting with the Angels, uh, their radio in 93, 94, uh, and, and Tony was with, the, I think, the Yankees then. Was it the Yankees or Blue Jays? I think the Yankees. And I would try to get to the ballpark before he would get there, but he was so prepared. You couldn't get yeah. to the ballpark. And in, in Atlanta, Pete Van Weeren was about the same. He would get there, and he, he'd already talked to scouts uh, before you've gotten there, and I got there fairly early. <laughs> I think you know we're we're going to get to some of those questions. I have some you know questions about your uh, broadcasting days, but um, going back going back to uh, growing up, uh, high school uh, baseball player. Were you uh, something special in high school? Did you see coming at all? Uh, Not particularly, Mark. I was again. I was a better football. I think I was right? more renowned in the area for football because we played. You've seen the movie. Remember the Titans. Right, in, right. In real life, we played them in the state finals. Wow. In the movie, they had them play Marshall, which was the only close game they played that year. 
Uh, we were both 12 and 0 going into the final game, and they beat us like we stole something from them. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so they didn't really depict. The only thing that depicted us was that the game was played in Roanoke, Virginia, which it was. Uh, and that uh, spoiler alert: Bertia, the linebacker who had the accident. He actually played in the game. He didn't have the accident until later on, but you can see how that made a. a I, I, Billy, I, I got to tell you, my pet peeve is when 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 people do period movies or, or TV series and yep. they get that kind of stuff wrong. It drives me. I'll, I'll give I'll give you an example of what what really bugged me. There's a show right now on on uh, HBO Max called uh, Minx. I don't know if you've seen it. It's about a feminist back in 1971. A feminist wants to start her own magazine, and she gets she gets connected with this guy who does porn, and they end up doing a, a, a female a nudie mag with men in it, but also articles about feminism. And it's clear it's 1971, and there she is on the first episode singing along to with "I Am Woman" by Helen Reddy. And I said, "No freaking way!" That song <laughs> came out in 1972. It wasn't uh -huh. a hit until the end of the year. I said, that could not have happened. I, mean, I realize it's a feminist anthem and they wanted to use it, but come on, you know? Yeah, you that, that, Get your timelines right. Yeah, the, the players, we've had two anniversaries of that game and their players uh, didn't seem to mind. Uh, in fact, a lot of them have made uh, that, since that movie, have been um, motivational speakers uh, in part because of that. So uh, wow. they seem to be okay with it. I'm just trying to forget it. So, <laughs> your, your son's a motivational speaker now, isn't he? Um, my youngest son, Travis. Yes, he's uh, he's a trainer and a motivational speaker. He's 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 about the total package. But David, when you were talking about the movies, my oldest boy, uh, he's a screenwriter. We we're waiting for him to hit that big one, and uh, he also played football at the University of Hawaii, which I'm really impressed with because I'm like, wow, you're playing to me. He walked on. And wow. June Jones era, I mean, he caught oh, Taylor yeah. Brennan's NCAA record at the time in 2006, uh, 50 yeah. touchdown passes, I think. Uh, it was later broken. Um, uh, LSU quarterback who's now with the Bengals. I'm getting that age. I can't uh, Yeah. Um, Joe. Yeah. All right. Who can we get up first? Burrow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't Burrow. Know Burrow. Yeah, Burrow, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, Joe Burrow, yeah. Burrow, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Ian Ooh. caught 10 of the Cope Brennan's uh, NCAA record before uh, Burrow broke it at, at uh, LSU. and uh, But he's a screenwriter, and he, he had an opportunity to to uh, be a script doctor with Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. of The uh -oh. Fifth Dimension. And I'm, wow. I'm excited. I'm like, wow, really? Really? He's calling me, asking me, what was it like in 1965? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would, I'm trying to steer him correctly, but there's I, I some people I'd love to have on the show also. There you oh, go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. And I hope they they greenlight that project because yeah. I think a lot yeah, of people from our Definitely. generation would watch it. Would love it. Would love it. Yeah. 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 Now, Billy, you and Jack McDowell have have well a lot of things in common, I'm sure, but one is that both of you got drafted out of high school in in lower rounds. He in the twentieth, you in the twenty eighth. And both of you chose not to sign to go to college. And then it turned out to pay dividends because then you both got drafted in much higher rounds. Yeah, um, I, yeah David, I was drafted by the Rangers. Joe Branzell was the scout. 
And uh, back in those days, it was long before it was on TV or MLB Network or <laughs> .com or anything. Right. So I waited around. A group of us went down to Myrtle Beach. They were all athletes. I think we had two football players and two baseball players and a couple of basketball players, and we're all sharing this one room. And I'm waiting around to get the call. So finally I get it day two of the draft. And I get the call, and it's Joe Branzell. And he says, Hi, Bill, this is Joe Branzell of the Texas Rangers. <laughs> we drafted you in the 28th round. And he could hear my disappointment. And at the time, there were 24 teams. He said, well, Bill, 23 other teams passed over you 27 times. As if to say, don't blame us for drafting you. Wow. <laughs> what a thing to say to somebody. Holy <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh. Oh, I, I mean, where where did you think with you, some reality here? <laughs> where did you think you would be drafted? Somewhere in the teens. The scouts had told me. I believe them. <laughs> Why would they lie to me? <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody in baseball lies to anybody. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then you ended up going to at the time was Madison University, which is James Madison now in Virginia, uh -huh. and um. um it used to be an all-female institution, Mark, up until about 1969, I think. It was wow. all-female, and uh, it was three to one by the time I, I got there. Yeah, I couldn't buy a date. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but but <laughs> Brad Babcock, who we just celebrated, he died about a year and a half ago, but uh, his number was retired just last week, and he was a tremendous recruiter. And from what would have been my sophomore year, I had six teammates sign pro contracts. Wow. Um, uh, Todd Winterfeld, who was our center fielder from um, Seaford, New York, he was a five-tool player. He made it to – he played AAA ball in the Mets organization. J.W. Mitchell, a shortstop. Jim Barb, our first baseman, played AA ball. Uh, Tim Simonis and Roger Lee played independent ball. And Mike LaCaz was a teammate of Cal Ripken Jr. in the Orioles organization. Wow. Yeah, so I, we we had a pretty good, <laughs> yeah. yeah. From from going to uh, from going four years maybe of having a baseball program to to having seven guys sign pro contracts were were pretty good. And yeah. a three to one and a three to one ratio. I mean, yeah. I, I would have gone there. Athlete, if I couldn't, you couldn't get any dates. Here, Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess you still have to have some semblance of a rap, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't know. You just made me feel a whole lot better. You just made me feel a whole lot better. You know? It's yeah. good. It wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah, no, you guys with a musical background. Now, come on. You know you guys have. I don't oh, know, man. I, no I, played, I, still I played in bands all throughout college and whatnot, and people would say, oh, you dog, you dog. And I'd go, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's not that way. The only app I had was, uh, you want to see my baseball card collection? It didn't, <laughs> just didn't work. <laughs> But, and then Billy, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to say, but if you found that one woman that liked baseball, you were in there. You were in. <laughs> yeah, I of that. It took um, you. Uh, it took you a few years then uh, after after you uh, did enter uh, minor league ball uh, to get to the show, so to speak, as they say. Where did you start off your minor league uh, career? Sarasota, Florida. That Sarasota, was Florida. Ball or low A ball. Um, 
Joe Klein, who was a tremendous baseball man, uh, he was the farm director, assistant farm director back then, I guess our player personnel directors now. But Joe would manage the team that he had drafted. And he had us gather around one time, and there were about 25, 27 of us or so. And he said, uh, take a look to your left, take a look to your right, pick out another person, because that's all that's going to make it to the majors. And he wasn't saying it to scares. He was just saying those are the odds. Yeah. Uh, Steve Comer, a changeup throwing right-hander, preceded me to the majors. And uh, Brian Allard, a sort of stylish right-hander, came after me and pitched with the Mariners and the Rangers. And I think that's it. I don't think Steve Finch got to the big league. So maybe maybe Steve did get to the big leagues. I'm not well, sure. But I know Brian and Sid Finch <laughs> with those big feet and the long arms. And 150-mile-an-hour fastball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But that's interesting, though, in in a ball to 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 know that you look around and and, and that's the odds, you know. Yeah, that's that that's just that's how hard it is. Um, let alone moving moving your way up to double A, triple A, and you know, and, and then making it to to the big time. Um, the, the odds are really stacked against you, no matter how good you are coming out of high school. Right? Yeah, Mark. Yeah, and our first round pick, uh, I can understand why he was a first round pick. Didn't get out of a ball. Who was that? Just. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Bill Simpson. Bill Simpson. He was out of California. Yeah, he had a good arm, good bat speed, good. Had a lot of good things going. I can understand why he was the first pick. Didn't get out of anymore. Right. Did he get hurt or no? Just yeah. He might. He might have had trouble with the slider, but so, <laughs> so did a lot of us. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, as David had mentioned earlier, when we talked to Jack McDowell a couple of weeks ago, um, so much of it once you once you get in there is is how strong you are mentally, you know, and 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 how well you can handle everything going on to you, and also the physical side of things. And you can come flying in there with all the physical tools possible, but if you don't have the whole package. That's where you start weeding everybody out. Not many people get to that that next level because of of that, you know. Well, if you're a high draft pick, now back in the day, nineteen seventy six, first round picks are not making the kind of money first round picks are making now. So if you're paying somebody three to five million dollars, you're going to make sure they can't play. Whereas right. If you're a low round pick, you have to prove that you can play. So that's <laughs> that's a little. Bit. Different than different now yeah. than, than it was before, but yes, you're you're right. You can go through um, uh, a lot physically and still not have the emotional and mental strength to, to get further. It's it's tough that way. And, um, and unlike you know the corporate world or whatnot, where people go to college and then they enter entry level positions, and longevity says a lot for you know working in that type of environment, moving your way up. You know, in sports. Um, it doesn't work that way, you know, no. just because well, I, I knew I could hit a fastball. So that helped. And I went from rookie ball to double a ball, but I was so marginal that I had to carry the manager's golf equipment in my car from, <laughs> from plant city, Florida to, to Tulsa and tall at Tulsa. Guess who was one of my owners, one of the team's owners, Roy Clark. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So that makes cool. Sense. Yeah, Roy would come and take infield every every so often when his schedule <laughs> permitted, and he wasn't bad. He looked pretty good. Like, yeah. Wow! Did, did did Charlie Pride ever come around? The yes, in spring camp? training, Charlie was a fixture in, in at Pompano Beach when uh, when the Rangers were training there, and, and 
uh, even before I got there, but uh, whenever his schedule permitted, Charlie would, would come down and, and look good because Charlie had played in the Negro Leagues in the yeah. 1950s. Right. So uh, had a good stroke. And uh, I know he was a pitcher. I don't think he threw any BP or anything, but he would he would take his swings in the cage. Like I, he saw, was I saw to, a video like, where he got a hit off of Jim Palmer in a in a uh, yeah. an exhibition game. That's cool. I really enjoy when entertainers like that cross over and oh, for sure, show their their love of the game. In fact, like, I, Billy Crystal didn't fare quite as well. No, but that was a nasty cutter. That three two cutter. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, oh, I haven't seen a pitch like that in a long time. A lot of us would have been taking <laughs> taking that bet back to the dugout on a pitch like that. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you're obviously being self, you're modest, so you're being self-deprecating, but, you know, you couldn't have been a marginal player in triple, in double A. I mean, you made the majors, so there, there had to well, be something going thank on. thank you, David, for, for saying that. I still have the Texas League record for most errors by second baseman. And I keep waiting <laughs> for somebody to come along and break that. They figured my bat would precede my glove to the big leagues, which is true. And plus, I had bump wheels at second base. I was going to have to move at some point anyway. So right. I kept throwing the ball away so they would finally move me and <laughs> back to the outfield where I played in college. <laughs> oh, now, did you want to play? Uh, were the Rangers one of your favorite teams uh, growing up? Well, not growing up because they weren't there. But Yeah. Um, um, they would have been the closest team, I guess, uh, the Senators. But uh, I probably knew the Yankees more because I saw them more on TV. But I was fortunate. I had a, a minor league team in my hometown, which really helped. Uh, they were the Pirates organization for most of the years I grew up. They were the Giants when I first moved into town and the Pirates for most of my adolescence. And it was kind of neat in a way because I would see players I would play against or in the case of Mario Mendoza would be teammates later with. So that was that was kind of nice. And I bought my first car from Doug Bear. Uh, the oh, reliever. wow. Yeah, yeah. I remember wow. that. Yeah, it was a... Uh, a white three-speed on the floor, uh, 1960 Corvair, and I bought it in 1971. It leaked a little too, but I only I only had to pay him sixty dollars for it. Yikes! Uh, he wanted forty dollars up front. <laughs> I love it. But the, but the yeah. second part of that story, if I may, is that uh, the Reds were playing us in, in Pompano Beach, and I forgot what year it may have been, 1979, 1980. And after the game, I ran uh, to the bus before he got on the bus. And I asked, do you remember that car, 1960 Corvair, they're white, three-speed on the floor? And he paused for a second to, because it took him a while to, to place it. And then he remembered. And I said, oh, I'm the guy that bought it from you. <laughs> this was this would have been at least six or seven years later. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Uh, you, another thing you have in common with Jack McDowell is that both of you had a late season call up in your case, 1978. And both of you did really well. When you got called up, you went seven for 15 um, with an OPS of 1.067. I mean, I know nobody knew about OPS back then, <laughs> I know, I but know. I mean, did you, downhill think, after did, that, <laughs> did you, did you think that and I asked Jack this too? Did you think the game did you think like, oh, this is easier than I thought it would be? Oh no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I wasn't that self-assured, but I I felt confident. I wasn't nervous. I uh, swung it. I let off the game. Swung it the first pitch and got a base hit. Uh, although six to us count on got a glove on it and a dive, and I'm going <laughs> to wait a minute now. <laughs> that should be my knock. And then, <laughs> and then, 
And then they Who gave it your first game a pinch run. Uh, Jerry Augustine in Milwaukee. Oh, okay. And and Bump Wills came to pinch run for me. Well, I guess I should have backed up and told the horse story. Uh, so I walk into the clubhouse. We're finishing uh, in Tucson. Uh, we catch one of those milk stop flights, Tucson to Phoenix, Phoenix to Chicago, Chicago to Milwaukee. By the time you're walking in the clubhouse, even at a young age, you're <laughs> dragging. And I saw the lineup card, and I was leading off, which was okay. I didn't think I was going to play immediately. We were five and a half games out at the time. Yeah, but okay, well, let's go. But the part that alarmed me was that I was leading off playing second base. And as I told you, yeah. I still have the Texas League record. <laughs> still, I wish somebody had come along and break that. But I said, I set the bar. Yeah. And uh, nobody said anything to me. I remember, and Doc Ellis came over and said, uh, well, Good luck, young man. Because I thought it was a fake lineup. I really did. I was like, Are you kidding me? All right. Yeah. All right. And nobody said anything. And I'm getting loose before the game. And Richie Ziss comes over and he says, Well, it's just like AAA which was nice. He was just trying to calm me, but I wasn't really nervous. And then uh, maybe five minutes, five to 10 minutes before the game started, manager Billy Hunter pulled me aside and told me what, what was going on that I was going to bat. And no matter what I did, Bump Wills was going to go in the game. And so they were trying to give Bump one less at bat from the right side because they thought he was struggling a little bit from the, uh, the switch hitting wheels from the right uh, side. Yeah. So, so I did. First pitch swinging, base hit. I don't know what Bob Euchre thought was going on when Bump came to pinch run for me, but <laughs> well, it's nice doing, that you knew he's doing a Brewers broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and speaking of my favorite uh, team growing up, the Pirates, you just mentioned two of my favorites right there, and Doc Ellis and Richie's disc. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I, saw, well, I saw Dave Parker come through there, come through Salem, as I wow. mentioned, Mario Mendoza, uh, Dave Augustine, uh, Dave Cash. Wow. Uh, Oh, a lot of, lot of, I mean, the, do you believe that Doc Ellis pitched that no hitter on acid? I mean, is that even possible? I think <laughs> I would. Well, he walked a lot of batters. Yeah, early good control pitcher. So I, I Doc was. Uh, the, the good thing about the Rangers is that they had a lot of guys that you could throw the mold away. They didn't make another one, and Doc was <laughs> like that. Uh, later on. The, the Yankees traded Mickey Rivers to the to the Rangers. In fact, the Yankees and Rangers made a lot of trades uh, during that era. And uh, Mickey's another guy that you threw the mold away. He was just, <laughs> just there was no way to describe. I couldn't even believe. I couldn't even tell you because I didn't believe some of the stuff that went on. So I, I know that going, wow, that was really special. Did anybody else notice that? <laughs> did, he, did he really? Did he really say a lot of malaprops like people attribute to him? Uh, what are you talking about, Dave? A man of my calibration, you know. Come on. I, I guess I guess he did. That's awesome. Rick, Rick, you got your long ball hitters and you got your short ball hitters, but most importantly, you got to check the wind chill factor. <laughs> that was on a play. I'm doing a bad Mickey today. Where's my? Oh, what did you what what uh, when you when you got up to the majors? What did you find really uh, the biggest difference, even from minor league ball, jumping into an organization? You know, like this is this is the big time now. What what really just made you go, whoa, I'm 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 here. You know, well, um, I don't think as a hitter, I don't think Mark it's any different as far as stuff. 
Most right. of the guys I faced double A ball against went from double A to the majors. Uh, the Pirates had, speaking of the Pirates, I had uh, Rick Honeycutt. They had, before he was traded to Seattle, they had uh, Rod Scurry. They had Al Holland, who I faced yep. in the Legion ball, uh, who could still rush it up there. I, oh, my goodness. Um, uh, Fred Brining, who came up with the Giants. Uh, Don Robinson. Um, wow. So wow. they had, and all of those, I think, went to the big leagues from double A ball mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. I know Honeycutt did because he went because the Mariners were young. Oh, and they certainly, yeah. to do that. But Holland went up from double A. Uh, Robinson went up from double A. So they had the kind of stuff that you could do it. I think what's different for a hitter is, and it's nothing like it is today, but they had a scouting report. <laughs> Just, so that, that ball, you, you, you roll over and hit in the hole and the shortstop tries to play on his backhand and you beat it out. Uh, Ripken's playing that on his forehand. So that, that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they want you to hit it hard. Yeah, hit it right at the person in the hole. That's the way they want you to do. Yeah. Flanagan throw that little that little tight slider and you'd hit Oh, because he had so many other <laughs> weapons to get you out with. You got one you better better lay into. And yeah, right there. That person Speaking of laying into it, I, of course, I'll never forget the home run Jose Canseco hit off of Flanagan that the camera, the camera was was focused on. I think the second deck. All of a sudden, it shoots up. It went oh. into like the hotel or something. Oh, Flanagan said, you know, hey, if I'm going to give one up, it might as well go that far. <laughs> and you know, you see Canseco rounding the bases, and he's just going like ah, that, even, <laughs> that. That isn't even my best. <laughs> I didn't get it all. Toughest pitcher you ever faced. Who's the toughest pitcher for you that you ever faced? I thought we only have an hour today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, I don't know. Um, There were a lot of them. Um, I had trouble with Tom Underwood, left-handed pitcher, um, Yankees, Blue Jays. I think he came over from the Phillies. Yeah, and to the point where both he and I knew I had trouble with him. So, so I'm playing. I'm playing for the Yankees. We're in Baltimore. He's pitching for the Orioles, and he he cut a ball in on my hands. I hit it so poorly that it didn't get to anyone. That it went towards third and, and landed like a golf, like a golf shot. It started backing up, and he looked at me in first, and I kind of looked back, and we kind of nodded because that's the only hit I remember getting off of him. I think I was two for 21 off or something like that. But it was one of those, I think one time I checked my bat after swinging and swinging through a pitch. And went, I, I missed that. But he seemed to have a, like a lot of left-handers, the ball runs away. But right. his had a little hop to it going up. And I never could. And I was good on getting on top of high fastballs. But for some reason, I couldn't get on top of his. And sometimes you just don't match up well with people. But there are, no, there are, a, whole, there are a, whole list of, <laughs> a whole list of guys. Well, here's an interesting. Here's an interesting little side question, though. You played with arguably one of the best knuckleballers in Charlie Huff. Um, uh, th- there were more knuckleballers back in that in those days than you really see around anymore. But uh, how difficult really is it to hit? Because I've never taken a swing against a good knuckleballer. How difficult is it? What's so strange about it? Well, I would go into the cage when Charlie needed some more work, just to give him a, a batter. Uh, and I thought, well, in addition to being somewhat altruistic, <laughs> going to give Charlie some work, it would help me hit Phil Negro. Nah, it didn't. 
<laughs> I was over eight against Negro. Right? I I don't think I ever got a hit off. Too. Wow. And um, but what makes it what makes it difficult though? Because I as as you know, David and I just dream of these things. Uh, what makes a knuckleballer so hard? Well, the ball never stays on the same plane. <laughs> okay. Was that was that too simple an answer? Yeah, it's just, you know, you, <laughs> back back in back in the day, back in the day, you know, we, we'd watch knuckleballers and we say, "I could probably hit that." It's like a wiffle ball, you know. But then you talk to so many people, it's like I couldn't get, I couldn't touch it. Well, <laughs> well there you go. I can't hit a wiffle ball either. So. <laughs> Fortunately, knuckleballers did end up walking a lot of people. So, yeah. yeah, at least you well, got it's that. It's tough to catch. Yeah, it's tough to catch, and it's tough to hit. I think I hit one knuckleball. It was in the Hall of Fame game back when the players, uh, the teams played in the Hall of Fame game. And it was 1979. It was a year that Willie Mays was inducted. And the uh, the Padres played the Rangers. And I hit a Mickey Lolich knuckleball for a home run. Who wow. knew Mickey Lolich played for the Padres, much less threw a knuckleball? I had no idea he threw a knuckleball. <laughs> yeah. Went in three games in the 1968 World Series. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 11 years later, some well, upstart hits a home run off his knuckleball. Fascinating. Fascinating. The whole Negro thing dovetails nicely into what I want to ask you about next the 85 Yankees, because I was a huge fan. And when the Yankees got Ricky Henderson, I was ecstatic. He quickly became my favorite player. And uh, you had hit, so you had my favorite player on your on the team, and you had my favorite manager in Billy Martin. And I just got to know, um, are there? Can you tell us anything about Billy Martin that people don't know? Because you, obviously, there's the image of uh, the drinking, the temper, the fight with Whitson. Um, <laughs> The, the, being hired and fired by Steinbrenner like 700 times. Uh, what, what, is there anything about Billy that people didn't know? You're probably going to enjoy my book, David, because I, I mentioned uh, Billy Martin and, and uh, Ed Whitson and, and that altercation. Um, I wasn't there at the time. I was in the bar the night before. I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, the night before. And somebody almost jumped in his face that night, Billy Martin. But I'm in about four books uh, about Billy Martin, in, in which he told Gossage to hit me in the head in spring training. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yeah, so I think I'd be the most objective person. <laughs> 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 and speaking of which, I, I just ordered your book today off of uh, Amazon, and from what I've read, read it, it's fantastic. Uh, uh, but but too short, so evidently you need to to write a sequel. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is short. It's about a two bathroomer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And so some, some, of the, some of the reviews were just like you know uh, he he writes and tells it with a sense of humor and and and, and very very humble type approach, but. I read it in 90 minutes and wanted more. I was like, well, right. oh, but, uh, keep, yeah. them, keep them wanting. Yeah, keep uh, them wanting. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thank you. Thanks, Mark, for that. Yeah. Yeah, I I had fun. it's supposed to leave you with a smile. And, and sure. that's pretty much the way it is. Tell, tell us about funny. Ricky. I got to know some stuff about Ricky that people don't know. He's really built, really cut. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't realize that. I didn't. Um, I knew that he was strong enough in his legs that he could shrink the strike zone. Uh, and Billy Martin uh, with Oakland got the umpires not to call that pitch that's about right there because Ricky would come out of a diagonal 
and hit that. If you threw it 86, he'd take you deep. He'd throw it 96, he takes it for a ball. And I'm screaming from the outfield, that's a strike on me. And, um, <laughs> but he was really, really cut. And um, just uh, just leg strength that, that most people don't have. Uh, the way that he can bounce off first base and, and take off from a bounce. Not many players can do that. And I, I think that set him apart. But he was going to Arizona, either Arizona or Arizona State on a football scholarship. And his scout and his mother talked him out of it somehow. <laughs> and uh, I don't think his yeah. mother, yes, yeah, mom didn't want him to, to play football, uh, probably to get hurt. And yeah. uh, so he hurt a lot of feelings. And, <laughs> I think he one, made the right decision, though. Yeah, I think so, too. And there's one time we were playing in Oakland, and I'm with Texas. And we have a seven to nothing lead, uh, bottom of the ninth. Ricky's on second, two out, and he takes off the third. And I thought, please, if he never gets thrown out, let him get thrown out now. His run <laughs> means nothing. And of course, he steals the bag, but <laughs> anybody else gets thrown out at the end of the game. What are you doing? Running down seven. So I asked Ricky about that when we were teammates in New York. It was 1982. He sort of said, well, I was going for the record. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that explains okay. it then. All right. Now, in this, in this, yeah, it's, it's unfathomable to, to think that the record will be broken, especially the way baseball is being played now. Uh, what do you think? What do you think about the game now versus when, I mean, you know, you've got, you've got the analytics, you've got obviously people swinging for the fences almost every time. Um, it's a totally different mindset. I mean, compared to when you were playing, what do you, what do you think about how the games evolved? Well, I think the powers that be figured out that there's a greater correlation between offense and revenue. Right. So yep. do whatever you can. Let's say back in the day, Mark goes deep, David, you go yard, I come up next, I get hit in the neck. My own <laughs> teammates would have said, hey, dude, guys in front, he just went yard. You should have been on your toes. Yeah. Now the same situation happens and pitcher might immediately get kicked out of the game. So yeah. you're, you're protected a little bit because, because offense is of um, a premium now where yeah. it wasn't so much because the people that could enjoy a three to one, two to one game at Dodger stadium, they've already got, they're looking for that discretionary income person that's in Covington, Kentucky, going to Cincinnati where the, the final score is nine to six might not have been a good game, but, five home runs and you go back home and you're excited because as a kid, because you saw the scoreboard explode five times. Uh, yeah, no. So that's, that's kind of what they're shooting for. And I, I kind of get it. I, I'm an old timer, but I, I kind of get it. Uh, well, I, David and I always argue uh, a lot of things. He's a fan obviously of the uh, old school, but I, I grow, I grew up in the sixties and seventies with all those great teams. I was a fan of the lumber company. Talk about exciting teams to watch free swinging, you know, uh, that, that, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, today I just, I don't know. It doesn't seem like the personalities are there as much. Um, and of course we talk about starting pitchers in their contracts that, that say they can't go past six innings, even if they got a no hitter going on. And to me, that's just like, that's just like taking so much of, of the game away. I'm, I'm also not a fan of interleague play. I'm not a fan of the designated hitter rule. I, I still go back I still go back a long ways, but uh, I'm calling my daughters all the time in Florida saying, uh, how do I do this? <laughs> it passes and, by and, quick. 
And with my kids, they would show you one time and they'd be yeah. so impatient with you. Old. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't grow up with this technology. And they boom, 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 boom. And they going out the door somewhere. Hey Billy, I haven't I haven't seen it, but I'm planning on watching it this weekend. Reunion 108. Can you talk about Can you talk about that a little bit for me? All right, well, uh, Mark. Let me tell you. As much as I encourage people to see it, but it's it's a little different. Uh, I have to warn you as well. It's a strong R. <laughs> In fact, when oh. the person from the classification board called. And he was a baseball fan. It was good. And we were talking about baseball in the, in the 50s. And he really enjoyed the movie, which was flattering. But um, when he said a, a strong R, I was, I was yelling around the house because I thought I had a good chance to be an NC-17. <laughs> and, I, and I wouldn't have made up the $2 I made on the movie after all. Um, it's, a, it's a clubhouse movie. It's a little in your face. It's a little sar sarcastic, a little satirical. Um, a little sardonic probably in places, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, we shot it in about 20, 23 out of 25 days. We had about 25 SAG actors, which means they had to get paid first. Right. And, yeah. uh, and it was just, it was just a hoot. And well, you produced it. You I, produced yes, it. I was producer and I, I'm in it too much. No. Well. <laughs> I'm in it way too much. <laughs> Um, but it was, uh, my, my oldest son, Ian, the one I'd mentioned before with Billy Davis Jr. and Marilyn McCoo, he helped produce it as well. Uh, we had four former major leaguers, I think, including myself, um, uh, um, Fernando Perez probably had a, a, the biggest role of the, of the ex athletes. Uh, he stole a base in the 2008 world series, uh, raised against the Phillies and, um, but he, he was a delight. It was um, John Foster was in it, a reliever with the Braves uh, from back in the day. Uh, Joe Asanio, reliever with the Yankees, he was in it as well. So it was it was fun. There's a lot of flashback scenes and and a lot of scenes um, based on some of the things that happened to me. Um, I probably won't tell you which ones were mine. <laughs> yeah, no spoilers. Yeah, because you, because you guys have a pretty good, uh, yeah, pretty very complimentary uh, image of me. So I'll wait till you see the movie, so you can ruin it then. And, and yeah, we'll watch the movie. We'll, we'll, have, we'll, have, we'll have you back on in a couple of months, and we'll say, "All right, let's let's talk about some of this." <laughs> yeah, it, it was fun that way, and I it just it's just something I I wanted to do. I thought, well, I'm living in the New York area, it'd be better if, if I do it now, I may not ever get the opportunity again to do it. So I did, and I'll be paying some of my investors the rest of my life. <laughs> but it was still worth it. It was still, still glad we did it. That's all right. uh, David and I do a lot of that stuff as well. You know, with the record label, the festivals and things, it's like, well, you know, we wanted to do it, but uh, we'll be paying for this forever. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. I was... I was most versatile in my senior year in high school, so I keep trying to live up to that versatility. <laughs> so that, that was one of those. But it was it was a lot of fun. It, we, uh, we, I don't think anybody uh, complained about the the fun and the enjoyment we had on set. In I'm fact, look, I wish we had kept the cameras running 
after the cuts because <laughs> the best information was going back and forth after uh after we all bad yeah that's usually how it goes yeah. speaking of speaking of being versatile how did you get into announcing was that something that you wanted to do since you were a kid or did it just kind of fall into your lap uh i needed a job <laughs> yeah i was um I think I was colluded out of the game after the 86 season because uh, generally if you're a lifetime 272 hitter, you can get fine jobs. But Exactly. This, I was going to say, you had a good final Jack season. Jack Morris couldn't get a job. Uh, Tim Raines uh, didn't uh, uh, get a job. He had to come back in, in, in May of that year. Um, somebody else, some other big name. Oh, Andre Dawson gave the Cubs a blank contract. So there was definite collusion. If you were a marginal player, as I was, middle of the road, maybe average to about average player, it was really hard to get a job. Uh, the only thing I got was an invitation to spring training with the Twins. And I was doing okay until, for some reason, the head of the licensing committee of the Players Association, which I was a member, sent me information to the clubhouse in Orlando. <laughs> and I'm thinking, so they hand it to me. It went from the trainer to this, to this person, a club executive. And when I saw what it was and I saw the return address, I knew I was gone. So, oh, geez. yeah. So, but anyway, that's, that's, those things happen. <laughs> Just wish it didn't happen to me, but those things happen. Well, I mean, you're, you're, did you, did you get training as far as, uh, to be a, a broadcaster at all? Um, did you have any background or are you just that much of a natural because you're, you're, you're very good. You're, you're oh, just. Geez, thanks, Mark. You guys yeah, are way, I, way too kind. I went to school for broadcasting and telecommunications and, and I've used my voice in many, 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 many ways, but. You know, I've, took, I've taken voice classes. I've taken all kinds of things and better myself. So I, I'm just curious whether you you are as natural, gifted at that as you are. Uh, it's great. Wow. wow. Again, where were you guys when I needed agents? <laughs> Not really. Well, we're always late. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have been a good agent because I was into the Sabre stuff very, very early. Yeah. Uh, I, I was a disciple of Bill James. Oh, okay. I read uh, The Hidden Game of Baseball by Pete Palmer and John Thorne. You know, I was, that was one of the reasons Ricky Henderson was one of my favorite players because he, his, you know, it was always, it was him and Don Mattingly, and everyone loved Mattingly more. And I said, wait a minute. Ricky Henderson has 100 walks. He stole 80 out of 90 bases. His OPS was the same as Mattingly's, plus he had the stolen bases and was a really good left fielder. I mean, this is, this is the guy. I said walks are really underrated, and you know that you know he got on base and scored 146 runs. So I would have loved to have been an agent. <laughs> yeah, you forget how good a year Ricky had in 1985 because of Mattingly's MVP numbers. But Ricky was, my goodness, what did you say? 146 runs, he's 104 in 143 games. Yet. Yeah, more than one yeah. run a game. Yeah, because he he missed Insane. the first part of the the year. I think he had an ankle or hamstring injury or some lower leg injury uh, but he had a tremendous uh, a tremendous year that year he'd get on still second randolph moving to third manningly grounds him in that was a good formula for a while for a team that won 97 games yeah. Yep. Yeah. but yeah tell us about your announcing like mark asked if you were i mean um was was the braves your first team that you announced for i did a little 
worked for WNEW in 1987. Um, they sent me to cover the World Series. Um, I, I would occasionally be on the talk show part of it. So that gave me a little training, but for the most part, I I did a little work when I was playing. I had a I had a show, a, a minute a night show in 1981, the labor and pass year, in which I could talk about anything, and they never edited it, only for time. And um, so I had some background in it, um, but I, I <laughs> you guys are really kind. I think I misspeak way too much. Um, but I, I, I thought I could bring some things, especially doing play-by-play, that I wouldn't have to wait for the play-by-play person to do. So when I was with the Braves, they were gracious enough to give me at least an inning, both on radio and TV, uh, the first year and an inning and a half the second year, so I could direct my knowledge and my insight a little easier uh, to the broadcast. And right. I thank them a lot for that. And speaking yeah. of your knowledge and insight, I, I read I read an article about uh, uh, the things that you wouldn't miss uh, from playing baseball. And one of the funniest lines that I read in there was says you wouldn't you're not going to miss. I got to get this right. Pitchers bragging about their complete games of the <laughs> inning variety. Yeah, figure that one out. And I immediately knew what you meant by that. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably not a lot of love lost with pitchers in me. <laughs> and some of that pictures on my own staff. <laughs> oh, that was just such a great line, though. <laughs> Who was your broadcast partner in, in, uh, for the with the Angels? Bob Starr, the late Bob. Oh Star. yeah, Bob Starr. Oh, yeah. What a great voice! Oh, and he did football there too as well. well he did all the sports, but um, he <laughs> Bob, Bob would. I I still laugh because Bob would. We'd have these Snapple reads, uh, live uh, reads, and he would go through the whole Snapple thing, and he would add to it, and it would be really syrupy and and really like you want to turn your head, and, uh, <laughs> and then I'd make that motion, and he would just pat his wallet. <laughs> <laughs> you see, this is what I mean. This is stuff you never hear. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know. David, the best place to, to hear the, the backstories, if you could afford to go to the winter meetings, because it's it's everybody's welcome. I, I don't know if you need any special invitation. Really? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, at the winter meetings, uh, at the bars <laughs> from about 1030 to 1. That's where you get information, especially after a couple of people got liquored up a little bit. You would get you would get some of the best insight. I, I that and spring training. I would tell people if you have an opportunity to go to spring training because you're a little more restricted now than you were back in my day. But back in my day, you'd go to spring training. And you'd have you could be probably as intimate with the players as you'd like. Wait a minute. Let me let me back that up. Um, <laughs> Well, that might be that might be true too. I'll <laughs> be in your sequel. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, oh, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, what a but pleasure. The, but the players know who, for the most part, you know who's going to make the team. Probably twenty of the twenty-five players know that they're going to be on the team, and maybe even more than that. So uh, it's a little more relaxed. Uh, you can. 
interact, I guess would be a better way of saying it. <laughs> 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 or you uh, can't hang been, around to is... those bars later at night. <laughs> <laughs> no. This has been an absolute pleasure. It really has. Um, you know, you're um, yeah, you're a great you're a great guest. You obviously love talking about about your career and the career of others. We really appreciate your time. Oh, yeah, David, thank do. you. Been fun, Mark. Billy, thank, thank you so much. Uh, you know, David and I go back and forth about baseball uh, quite a lot, and um, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on our show this evening and and be able to talk to you about those days and and everything you've done. So, you know, great, and thanks, thanks for everything. Yeah, thank oh, you. Thank you too. And, and I'll, I'll be getting your book. Voice. Can I borrow Mark's voice too? I might go. Yes. Because I might even do well at a school that's three to one female. <laughs> Your voice, uh, no disrespect to Mark, but your voice is, yeah, yeah, indeed. indeed. Oh, thank you, David. I really appreciate it. <laughs> that's his real voice right there. That's his real voice. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Billy, be safe, be happy, healthy, and uh, best of uh, best of luck in the future as well. And uh, thank Absolutely. you for being on Material Issues. Likewise, Mark. Bye, Take care. Have a, have a great night. Well, David, there you have it. Episode number 47 with Mr. Billy Sample. Wow. Yeah, he's great. Was that wow. fun? Yeah, we got to get some more ballplayers. That was a lot of fun. I just, um, I was really curious about, because obviously he has a great voice. And um, I was just curious whether that, your voice can be naturally that good, but to be as fluid with, uh, uh, with the language, whether there was training at all, but it, it really comes naturally to him. And that's, 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 that's pretty impressive. That's really cool. Um, yeah. And no, like I, so, like I told him the first time I heard him, I, I didn't realize who he was. I, I just tuned into the game and I hear this new announcer's voice. It's like, wow, this guy's a pro. And then I yeah. found out it's a former player. It's like, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, most, most former players, of course they can offer insight into the game, but, they don't have that kind of fluid speaking voice that he does. Yeah, um, great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah, good one. Good one. I so, enjoyed that. Speaking of great stuff, we will have we some like great stuff. We'll be back uh, doing some music uh, with some music related guests coming up in the next few weeks. We're coming back next week. We'll be here if they don't cancel us. <laughs> so far, I haven't heard. I think we're okay. Well, we're we're approaching. I mean, that was episode forty-seven, so we're approaching uh, our one-year anniversary coming up here shortly. And uh, but what, who do we got going on next week? Well, next week we have, as I mentioned before, we have the daughter of you know the, the most prominent songwriting team of all time, uh, Carol King and Jerry Goffin, and a great musician in her own right. It was released. Lots of albums over the years, including one recently. And yeah, we're looking forward to having Louise Goffin on next week on Material Issues, episode 48. Yeah, awesome. And then on the 27th. At, uh, we've got uh, one of my uh, early 70s uh, rock bands, Artful Dodger. We got two of the original members, lead singer Billy Palacelli and bass player uh, Steve Cooper. He's really the archivist of the band. And um uh, as Jordan Oaks had mentioned earlier, you don't see many interviews with Artful Dodger. So people are going to tune in because we got it here on Material Issues. 
Let's see if we can get Jack Wild on also because he was the Artful Dodger. And yeah, then we get the actual Artful Dodger. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, I was, yeah, I, I think he's still with us. I don't know. I mean, I know, unfortunately, Davy Jones, who, yeah. who, who did it as, as part of the uh, the live performance, so he's not. But well, we'll try and get an actual art, art, artful dodger from somewhere. Or HR Puff and stuff. We'll get there it. You we'll go. <laughs> um, and then um, the following, now we can actually announce that we do yeah. have a scheduled guest uh, in May. The following week on May 4th, uh, Great, talented uh, husband and wife uh, team. Um, although the, they really haven't worked together much, but um, you know, we, the, the husband we, we know as uh, one of the main men of the great Philadelphia area band Wanderlust, who released a really good album last year after so many years on hiatus. Uh, he moved out to LA and um, he, he he's done several of his own records as well. Uh, just a truly talented guy, Mr. Rob Bonfilio, uh, will be a part part of our guest tandem next week, and as well as his wife, who is probably best known as one of the three ladies from the huge, huge uh, platinum band, Wilson Phillips, uh, also yeah. the daughter, uh, uh, one of the daughters of the great Brian Wilson. Um, just a really a great lady. She's she's actually come to a, several of Rob's IPO performances, and always roots him on and IPO on. And uh, they, you know, they were also on that uh, family swapping. Uh, I forgot the name of the show. I'll have to look it up. But what, uh, yeah. they were one of the celebrity couples that swapped families with another one. <laughs> and uh, I gotta ask them about that because. I remember watching and thinking, this is so freaking weird. But and I know that Rob was fairly uncomfortable with it. But anyway, we're talking about Carney Wilson, of course. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so Rob Bonfilio and Carney Wilson on May 4th. On the May 4th. Yeah, Mark Tappen down. And of course, we've got other irons in the fire. We've reached out to a few people just waiting to hear back from them. Uh, I will um, I will be heading to Liverpool on uh on May 13th. So uh, I'm, we're hoping that I'll, we'll be able to do something live from the cavern that, that following Wednesday, the 18th. Yeah. We're um, going to see how the uh, internet connection is. Cause it would be great to do something live from the cavern. That would be pretty cool. Um, it would. Um, well, hopefully it all works out. Yeah. Then on the 25th, I'll be in London, but at 11 PM, the GMT, I'll be coming from my hotel or wherever I am, and we'll see who our guest is that week. But it'll be, um, it'll be and cool. You, so, and as you mentioned, we're going to have a few weeks in there where maybe we'll just—it'll just be you and me. Yeah, just talking music, uh, talking things we've been listening to, or you know, theorists we've been talking to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. There we've has, got some great, uh, great stuff coming up in the next few weeks. So if you haven't, uh, if you haven't joined the Facebook group uh, and or told all your friends to join the Facebook group, or over on MaterialIssues.com on YouTube, uh, subscribe there, please do. That'll it'll keep you up to date as to who's coming, up and what's going on, and all the archive shows. Forty-seven shows now are archived uh, right here on Facebook and on YouTube. So check it out. Yeah. Absolutely, it's it's so it's so much fun for us to have these really great guests every week, and it really uh, is. And yeah, and of course I have fun doing the show with you every time. So, 
It's the same. Buddy. Everyone, have a great rest of your week uh, and weekend, and we will look forward to seeing you next week with Louise Goffin on Material Issues. Good night. God bless. Absolutely. Peace.